Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 102nd time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have just a little bit of news, and I've watched some things I want to talk about, and then we'll get to today's topic. So last Tuesday, literally right after I uh, finished recording last week's introduction, we got the news from the Girls Heroine franchise about the future of Kinemeki Powers and Riz Star Top of Artists, which are the two shows that are currently sharing the 9 o'clock time slot over on TV Tokyo on Sunday mornings. So, of course, originally, Kinemeki Powers, just like every other Girls Heroine series, had been 30-minute episodes every Sunday at 9, but starting a few months ago, they started to split it off so that there was about mm, 13 minutes of Kinemeki Powers and about 11 minutes of Rizusta, which is still has some kind of fantastical elements to it, but is generally like a dance battle type show. They also expanded the idol group Lucky Lucky at the time, which was doing the theme songs for both shows. And they announced that as of uh, next month, Kinameki Powers will end. So it looks like it will finally uh, conclude at episode 50, which should air the end of June. After which, Rizusta will take over the uh, entire 30-minute time slot, and we'll add two new regular members to the main cast. This will be a main cast of three girls and two boys, which is pretty interesting and very exciting. There's a lot of talk within the fandom that I'm seeing regarding whether or not Rizu Star Top of Artists is still part of the Girls Heroine franchise, or if we should start considering this a separate product. I mean, it's still all under the same company, and associated with the same uh, music production and so on. So it's a little complicated there as far as like defining things as Magical Girl or not. But it certainly at the very least is comparable to pretty series uh, before Watch It Primaji. So it's one of those that is going to be a little up in the air, but I will continue to watch in either case. (laughs) It's an interesting show so far, despite the uh, shorter episodes that it's been starting with. That's all for news this week, so let's talk about what I've been watching. So, as usual, our weekly shows, we have Delicious Party Precure, which has been super exciting. Again, very, very narratively driven this season, so it's been really fun to see how things play out each week. And I've been having a lot of fun talks all week long with people who watch Precure here in Japan. Next, we have Kinemeki Powers and Rista, of course, like I just previously mentioned. You know, things are, of course, heading to a close with the final battle and so on with Kinemeki Powers. And then Rista is like a slow buildup of uh, understanding our characters and so on. You know, they're doing their best to tell the story despite the shortened episode time, but I feel like it's not as exciting week to week. I think it would be different in a binging type situation. <laughs> Next, uh, Watcha Primaji has been continuing to be very interesting. I'm really, really enjoying 
the way the series is going with our duos and so on and the ways that the characters are expanding. It's just super fun to watch and the newer music is also just really, really enjoyable. Then we have Healer Girl again every week. I'm so excited every time I get to watch another episode of Healer Girl. This is definitely going to be one of those shows that I will rewatch frequently uh, for fun because it's just so lovely to listen to. You know, I've heard that there's going to be a dub of this series in English, so I'm really curious how they're going to do that, considering all the musical elements of the series. Um, <laughs> there is a lot of singing. And then, of course, The Demon Girl Next Door continues to be very interesting and lore-heavy and still full of gags and uh, surprising for me because I have not read the comics at all, so I don't know what to expect, but certainly I am curious about reading the comic. I want to check it out, but that particular type of comic is not usually one I gravitate towards, so we'll see. And finally, I actually finished watching a series this week, which was Angel's Friends Season 1. So it's an Italian series. Um, I first discovered this series when I was studying Italian back in college about a decade ago. It has been quite a while since I first watched it, and I had watched it in Italian at the time. I felt at the time that I pretty much got the story. I My Italian was good enough. There are always like little social things that are harder to pick up from just studying a language in school. But in any case, uh, this time around, I watched the first season in English. And uh, I already knew going into it that the English dub for shows like Angel's Friends, which are produced by Mondo World, are like really uh, hit or miss. I don't really like particularly blame anyone. They often have quite, you know, semi-famous professional voice actors doing the roles and you know, it's a matter of like editing and stuff like that. So I don't particularly blame anyone. I just think it's the way the production works for whatever reason. You get these particular kinds of dubs that feel really awkward. But I felt that in order to really make sure I understood the story that I had to watch it in English this time around, I believe that there are some episodes that are in Italian with English subtitles if people prefer to watch it that way. But it was really fun to revisit because despite all the production value issues the series might have, I generally find the story very fascinating and I just I find angels fascinating in general as well. I also have been trying to keep reading web comics. I'm a little behind at the moment, but I finally finished reading Gravitational Pull, which is about, I believe, six chapters in. This is a webcomic that is a, of course, Magical Girl series, but in particular, this one, it has science fiction elements, and also the main character has depression and has recently gone through some tragedies. So it is a very interesting take on the Magical Girl formula, and I wouldn't say it's like inherently like a dark series per se, but it is uh, interesting to be sure. So. I would recommend checking it out. I will uh, link to it in the show notes so you can click on over. But that is everything I've been watching and reading. So let's move on to today's topic. <laughs> so it is finally time to get back around to the Doremi franchise. So we've already done episodes pretty much in order because I was watching the series for the first time and so I was watching the series in order. And so we are talking about 
Ochimacho Doremi Naisho, which is the last televised season of Doremi. There are still others that we could probably talk about. I am still deciding whether or not we're going to save that for Cozy Sparkle Side Chats, which, by the way, if you would like to, um, this is actually a great month to get into it because things got really hectic in May for me, so I am two episodes behind on the paid-for feed. But this month, I will be releasing four episodes instead of two, so you can expect to just get a lot of extra bonus content for the same price this month. And again, thank you to everyone who has already subscribed to the Kofi feed. But yes, so Dormi Naisho, this was an OVA series, a much shorter season for that reason, and was very interesting. We'll get into it in the main chat, so I won't get into it here, but I did want to give some warnings before we jump into the conversation. So this series does discuss divorce as well as, you know, the rest of the series does in some ways and therefore has some bullying about it and there is some gaslighting about the topic. There is a little bit of racist stereotyping in caricature animation. It's very brief and it's only in one episode, but it is there, so keep that in mind as well. And another thing that this season particularly focuses on a lot is death. So we have one episode that discusses wartime death and another episode that goes into death by illness. So if you are sensitive to either of those topics, which is, again, completely understandable, you know, keep that in mind before you listen to this episode. So um, we are bringing back an older guest, Kai, aka Clear and Sweet, was on our Princess Tutu episode quite a while back, and it was really exciting to have them on again. Kai is, you know, just a lot of fun to talk to about these things because they go so deep into all the lore and stuff. So I would recommend, you know, checking out his stuff that he's done. Of course, as we mentioned in the chat, I did get to take part in one of his videos about ranking every single magical girl animated TV shows from Japan in specific, as opposed to anything else, which, you know, is not as expensive as uh, I like to talk about magical girls, but that's just what uh, the nature of that video series was. So it was interesting. And, you know, that video series, it was a while ago that we did that. And my own relationship to a lot of those series that I couldn't talk about have changed since getting into that conversation. So it's really fun to kind of listen back and for myself to hear, wow, it's been a while and there's a lot of stuff that I've learned since then. I think that this conversation was very fun and Kai was a delight to talk to as always. I'm sure we'll find another reason to have him back on the podcast uh, in the future. But for now, we're going to jump into our conversation with Kai about Ochimacho Doremi Na I Show from 2004. <laughs> so we are here today to talk about Ojimajo Doremi Naisho from 2004, and I'm excited for our returning guest. Can you please introduce yourself? Hey, Ayu. Yeah, my name is Kai. On the internet, I go by Clear and Sweet. I like to style myself as some type of, um, you know, critical analyst or 
um, anime critic that uh, particularly cares about the magical girl genre. So I'm so happy for you to have me back on the podcast. I really appreciate getting the chance to talk to you again, and especially for what season we have to talk about today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it's been a little bit of a while since you were last on the podcast. So uh, what have you been enjoying in the magical girl genre since you were last on? Oh boy, it's been a busy year. I went back and checked and it was about <laughs> 10 or 11 months since we talked about Princess Tutu. Yeah. And at that time, I was recording a shot-by-shot um, -shot breakdown of the 2011 show Madoka Magica. And that was quite the endeavor. I ended up at 16 hours of content of uh, all wow. the directing choices, yeah. all the themes, all the everything. And then even did a little bit more about uh, Madoka Magica Rebellion. And uh, that was a big, big undertaking that I'm so happy and very proud of. It's on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash clear and sweet and watch it. And then I jumped right in from that project into another project of uh, ranking every magical girl show ever. Mm -hmm. And boy, <laughs> talk about a large undertaking. <laughs> you were kind enough to guest on that. So if anybody yeah. listening wants to hear IU contribute, um, to the grand narrative of figuring out which shows are crucial to the genre, which shows you should be watching, that's up there and on there. And I finished that recently and um, been a bit exhausted for that. <laughs> then I stumbled right <laughs> into being a juror for the Reddit anime community's end of year awards. So I had to watch stuff that I would never touch in a million years, stuff like Attack on Titan, oh, and dear. Jujutsu Kaisen, uh -huh. and just, yeah, <laughs> just, I'm so just sorry. stuff that I had no, yeah, no desire or, uh, you know, need to be watching, but uh, it was fun all the same. Specifically in regards to the genre, though, there's, I, I kind of think, three big things that have happened since we last talked. I followed my first uh, Precure series since Hugtoe aired and watched all of Tropical Rouge Precure mm. that I very much enjoyed through the most, even if there were some aspects that weren't as strong as my favorite seasons of Precure. Mm -hmm. It was really nice to watch a season of Precure while it was airing again. Mm. The second one, very relevant for what we're talking about today, Looking for Magical Do-Re-Mi, that is the 20th anniversary Do-Re-Mi film mm -hmm. aired and was released in a way that I could finally watch it. And boy, that is a fantastic film that you absolutely will need to watch, yes. especially if you've <laughs> watched Dory Me Nye Show now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the third big thing that has occupied my brain and my mind and the content on my channel for a little while was um, a magical girl show called Wonder Egg Priority aired in mm. last year and just rocketed right up to one of my favorites of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't really watched that show yet, but I know that that's a show that people are constantly arguing about whether or not it is a Magical Girl series. So I'm very curious for, I guess, on your opinion about like oh why it is one, if that makes sense. <laughs> I am also very curious on your opinion once you watch it. I, I would love to know what you think. Mm -hmm. For me, it meets all the criteria for what I define as a magical girl show, that being the love and justice and compassion and understanding and togetherness, those inherent values triumphing over the um, magical nonsense and the problems that are placed in the way of the magical girl. 
So I think it fits right in, but I know many others don't. And I know the ending was kind of unresolved. It was kind of, well, I've talked quite a bit about it <laughs> and it's quite divisive. So, uh, yeah, you know, when you get into it, definitely, definitely let me know what you think. Mm-hmm. It is on my list. I-, I will get to it at, at some point, but yeah. <laughs> good, good. Yes, yeah, so I guess we can get right into Naisho. So just really quickly for anyone who is listening, who is unfamiliar with the Dormy franchise, first of all, please watch it. This series originally started, it aired for about four years on uh, TV Asahi, so Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m., which is the time slot currently dominated by Precure. And it began in 1999, and we started with Dormi Harukaze, Hazuki Fujiwara, and Aiko Seno who were third graders training as witch apprentices. And then year after year, they had new challenges and new friends along the way. So each year, they, of course, also got a year older, finally ending in the sixth grade with the fourth season, uh, which concluded in January 2003. But this season, Naisho was very peculiar, uh, very unique, I should say. Not peculiar sounds a little negative, but it's very uh, unique because this is an OVA. It's 13 episodes. And it originally aired every other week in 2004. It was on a pay-per-view channel. And then it aired publicly in 2005 on some TV Asahi-affiliated stations around Japan. I believe from what I read, it also did get broadcast outside of Japan in South Korea, Italy, and Spain, which makes sense because those are all countries that, you know, Dormi had a very successful dub in. It was set in the the timeline for Moto, which is the third season. Right. Except for the whole stuff with Baby Hana, because the Baby Hana storyline follows the events of the second season, I think because they wanted to have Hana around, because in the actual third season, Hana is a baby but she's in nursery school in the magic world so she's not around as much so right right yeah (laughs) the other thing is that because there isn't a main plot to worry about because that was you know done in moto you can watch that season to find out that main plot each episode is instead a little standalone story so basically what we have here is a selection of lost filler episodes <laughs> but that being said there's definitely an escalation to the story so it's really fascinating <laughs> yeah i mean and the first the kind of thought i have about dormi naisho is that you know maybe not everybody would be looking for that type of no grander narrative mm-hmm. but i think that for me at least and why i wanted to specifically speak about this season in particular is that's exactly what I come to a show for, or especially a long-running magical girl show. After 200 episodes with these characters, that I want to see, you know, more uh, self-contained, more focused episodes of just uh, present them a problem and let me see how they work it out. And I think this season does it so incredibly well. Yeah. Definitely. It's really unique, not just for like this show, but it's also very unique, like just as a work, because like this isn't really something that you get a lot of. But I think that's something that's really fascinating about the Dormy franchise is that it's still, you know, so popular. You know, the last Dormy related thing came out uh, also in 2020, which was a crowdfunded animation alongside looking for magical dormy the movie so like there is still so much uh excitement for 
the series. You know, there's also the uh, sequel novels that are set when they are a little older and become magical girls again in their teen years. And it's just really fascinating how popular it is. And it is because of the characters. And this show, this season really shows that the characters are the driving force behind this franchise. But before we get more into it, what is your history with the Doremi franchise and uh, Nice Show in particular? Yeah, surprisingly slim. You know, I've been, been a Magical Girl fan since I first watched Sailor Moon airing on Toonami after school back in the day. I watched, the, you know, the R movie, um, the year 2000, 2001. But for Dore Me, I'd seen many other Magical Girl series first. I, you know, already found my love of these specific values. I'd already started thinking about why I liked these shows in general. And it was only a couple of years ago that my friends were doing a group watch and they said, we want you to join in watching all of Magical Doremi. And um, I said, yes, I, of course, I've heard about it time and time again. And I know better than anyone that there's a million Magical Girl shows out there that I would probably enjoy that I still have to get to. I'm sure you can relate. I mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I just jumped in and enjoyed Magical Doremi. There's some slow parts over those first 200 or so episodes, but there's some really great stuff too. And then we got to this OVA, and I think this OVA is a substantial jump in quality or or presents some of the best aspects of what I enjoyed about Magical Doremi and throws them out there. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch the series like in release order, basically? Yes, so we did. Yes, we watched the uh, fourth season and the the ending of the fourth season, and then we went into Naisho, and so the the final episode of Naisho um, is the last Dory Me thing we saw until, of course, we all got together and group watched the film hmm. uh, when that aired. I see. Sounds like a lot of fun. You know, definitely something to enjoy with friends. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. It was great. I'm actually kind of surprised that you only watched Dormy relatively recently in your Magical Girl. Yeah, me as well, actually. Like, especially because it is uh, a Junichi Sato production originally. So yeah, I know you're a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> you remembered. Yes. Yes. Uh, Sato Jun or Junichi Sato is, is by far my favorite director of all time. I even did a video about his storyboarding work on stuff like Evangelion on, you know, Utna on Cowboy Bebop, even a lot of stuff that he's worked on and tried to connect that back to some of the themes. Um, so I, I love it. I love his episodes here are some of my favorite. Mm. It's insane that it took me this long to, to <laughs> find uh, and finally get to watching this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you watching his current show, Watcha Primaji, by the way? No, I, I again, the list of things after <laughs> doing the list of every magical girl show ever, my backlog list of shows that I absolutely need to watch has grown longer and longer. Mm-hmm. So that that's on there. Are you watching it? Can you tell me how it is? I'm really enjoying it so far. I have been, yeah, watching it week to week as it's airing. So it's been very interesting to see like the kind of escalation. Also because it's a pretty series franchise and I've never watched any other series from this franchise. Right. I kind of don't know what to expect, but it is very interesting to see like 
what magical girl aspects there are considering it is primarily an idol show but feels like it's in the second half or like at least the second arc i should say because i don't know how long they intend to make the series it's not as predictable as a precure yeah right now it's it's become very very interesting in terms of like the kind of main themes i think there's been a major shift with a new character introduction and stuff so it's really fun yeah (laughs) i'm excited yeah yeah I think you'll find it charming. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about idol Probably shows, will. but it's very cute. Yeah, no, yeah. I my anime of the year last year is Zombieland Saga Revenge. So okay, down for idols. Fine, <laughs> yep. you're set. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, obviously Sato is just in general a, a powerhouse, a legend of animation, but in particular of magical girls. So right. uh, it's no surprise that Dormi is also just as successful, though he wasn't working on every single season. I actually don't know right. how much he, w- he was involved in Naisho, if at all, but right. I know that right. he wasn't involved in Dokkan, for example. But Yes, he kind of did the same thing he did on Sailor Moon, where he kind of got it going and set everybody on the path and passed it off to the rest of the staff who was working at Toei. So I believe mm-hmm. Igarashi is credited as the or, or the main director for Naisho as well as the later seasons mm-hmm. of Doremi. But Sato does come back and, and do episodes every now and again, including probably my favorite in this season. Hmm. Uh, which episode is that, if I may ask? <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the Nozomi episode. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. we, we will get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. So um, I guess we should probably go generally in order. So... Like I said, the story itself is not really like following a particular timeline or anything. These are clearly just stories just within the timeline of the third season, more or less. Ignoring and reversing stuff with Hana, it's fine. Um, <laughs> each episode has a kind of different focus on different characters. Sometimes not even one of the girls. It could be a side character, but all characters that we have seen previously in the mm-hmm. franchise. But we get like all these nice little things, like just getting just a little bit deeper into each character as we move along. The first episode is about Kotake and the boys yeah. trying to go to Mount Fuji. So it's like, okay, interesting. But, you know, like, for example, with uh, Momoko, we get to see a little bit more of her her past with yep. yeah, Maja Monroe. In America. And, yep. Yeah. We don't really need to talk about this episode. It is cute, but um, Aiko's first episode is about how... She is absolutely terrified of swimming. She cannot swim to save her life. And she has to kind of get over that fear, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one is too. All these are kind of a great example of like they're based on characters or like one character has the lead, certainly. And it's not always one of the main cast. But then Mm -hmm. it it pulls in other characters into the story. and, And a lot of them weave in the other characters. Uh, in a fun way and the Aiko swimming episode is also great because it's also a Hazuki episode oh yeah the, the tables are turned and then now Hazuki is the sensei she's she's teaching her how to swim and and mm-hmm. then it's the class social dynamics too you know a lot of yeah. these social pressures come to light in a lot of these episodes it makes it feel really true to life and uh, and like not as simple as a straightforward plot would yeah definitely and I mean, there's also just a lot of like extra fun gags throughout the episodes. It's definitely like goofier than 
the main series, which is really yes. fun. It's yes. a lot more goofy faces. The whole way that the ending is animated is ridiculous. Oh, it's lovely. It's very fun. Yes. <laughs> that, that song, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, anime music quiz where you guess the openings and endings to the anime, but mm -hmm. I always pick up Dora Minai Show if I ever have the chance because I can call that ending on the first note of that song. Yeah. Very fun. It's pretty good. Yeah, there's a lot of great uh, music in this season. That's really interesting. Oh yeah, um, we we should we should say, and this is one of the things that I have to emphasize again because I've I've already called it you know great a number of times. But the production values of this season are top notch. The art, the character animation, the uh, writing and directing are all like substantially good quality in a way that is kind of shocking or um you know you couldn't really do in a standard week broadcast uh run without some sacrifices so in the grand scheme of grading something you have do i like it and is it good and i think that i definitely like this season but i think it it's definitely because it's a very good season in general yeah, the production value is definitely there. It's kind of interesting because I know it is because it is an OVA, but like the DVD count does not match the previous seasons. So like if you're going to, for example, like when I was first watching Doremi, I had to go to the video store and rent the DVDs. Now I can, uh, you know, stream them all online because sure, Toei sure. now has a Toei channel thing. But, you know, it was very interesting to see that like, oh, yeah, if I want to watch most of the seasons, they're basically roughly all around eight DVDs to 10 DVDs. But then this season, which is 13 episodes, is seven DVDs, which means it's like each DVD has like one to two episodes. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. You know, that's something that you would expect from an OVA or even just a shorter series like Madoka or something like that. It's right. always going to be that size instead so i mean it is like a thing of like when you're uh selling the you know the dvds or whatever like you have fewer things per volume um you know because that is to yeah. kind of deal with the cost of making the series it's understandable yeah yeah, yeah. and and again it was on um on pay-per-view originally so like you had to literally pay money to watch it and there are still a few series that are like this these days, but I think I think they would probably treat it a little bit differently now. And we see that also with the more recent little stories that they've been doing. Because even now, like even with the newer comedy story and heartwarming story, it's all uh, just still set in the original four year yeah. timeline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that goes back to one of the things that you know you could bring up or or pick apart at this series that there's no overarching plot in this season, and I think that's fantastic because it really does feel like all that stuff with the witch queen and you know all the the pow stuff, all the stuff that uh, uh, the the mages kingdom and everything, the plots of the previous seasons really weren't all that important to what people enjoyed about Doremi and mm -hmm. the character driven stuff really comes out as oh yeah that was it all along that's why you're here that's why you're watching Doremi so just give me the best examples of that that you could possibly find <laughs> yeah definitely yeah and I was kind of really happy to see like there are little things here and there that like we didn't get enough of in the main series I want to say so like for example, this season is the first time since the first season that we see 
Majoruka, the other yeah. witch frog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like she just like kind of disappeared for like three seasons, and I was watching the series like, where did she go? Like, right. you know, right. doesn't Ompu like owe her at least a little bit or something? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and it fills in yeah. it fills in all the backstory stuff too about uh, you already mentioned Momoko in in New York City, but also um, Ompu, how Ompu met Machiruka, yeah. and a lot of this other backstory stuff that they finally get around to addressing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not like they didn't have the time in the four years to cover that right. before, but <laughs> right, yeah. they just never got around to it. And it was like, hey, <laughs> yeah, it's an angle of fan service, I think. Mm-hmm. We should also mention that this season does not also have um, Oyajide, which I think is a huge win overall for, for Naisho. Yes, definitely a major plus because <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about it until you like mentioned it to me before we started. Because that's how much he is not in my mind when I'm thinking about Dorian. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's um, it's a great thing that he's not around. I can't speak for any of the of the later iterations of Doremi, but at least for this season, it's nice that he's not around. Oh, he does not show up in the movie. Spoilers. So Yay. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I still haven't read any of the, the novels yet, so I don't know if he appears there or not. I, I hope not, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if we want to really get into it, but um, five is the one with Pop and Hana, which is yeah. like the kind of the classic body switching episode. But like in this case, it's, you know, a seven year old and a baby. Yeah. And it's very cute and very, very goofy. Yeah. And also leads to like very sweet bonding between Dormi and Pop, which we kind of didn't get as much of in the later seasons of Dormi, I feel like. Right. This is a great example of what I think is valuable about Dormi Naisho, that it makes this fantasy thing, this Pop body switching with Hana story, and it's very fun and it's very comedic, them cutting away to the shots of the fountain when she has to pee. Yes. (laughs) Great jokes all the way through. And then the situation is resolved because Dorimi notices that Hana's body is behaving in the same way that Pop did when she was that age. Yeah. And like that bit of insight allows her to solve the problem. And it's because she she appreciated her sister. She knew her sister well and, and yeah, cared for her. Yeah. And I think that's a great example of the type of thing or how you structure a magical girl story in a way that you know gives validity and gives credence to the relationships between the characters Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah definitely it's like for me the episode is kind of like the peak of like the most ridiculous and sometimes maybe too over the top humor with Torimi but like also like really great you know kind of character studies and stuff so yeah yep so uh, with that, I think we should talk about episode six, which was a really delightful episode because this was a look into a character that we didn't get to know in the first four seasons, Maya, the caretaker of Hazuki. So this was very interesting. Again, like many of the, the episodes, it, it's very much a standalone episode, but we finally get to look into her past and see the life that she lived and her memory of the war and like her connection to ballet, which is something that Husky is doing 
in this episode, I was trying to remember if we ever see Husky doing ballet otherwise. Right. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not sure. Okay, yeah. I, remember I can't it. remember, but it tracks because of, you know, again, um, Husky's class status and stuff. Like, that does yep. sound like yep. something she yep. would do. But, right. yeah, it's very interesting to see, like, Baya's own connection to ballet is one of always watching other people who have more money than her to Pele rather than her doing it herself. But yeah. And then, you know, we have the whole thing with uh, the nutcracker. Yeah. Yeah. And her first love. And it was very, it was just a very sweet little story to get into. Yeah. I think it's one of the successes of Dormi Naisho, like even in the characters who aren't the witch apprentices, Mm-hmm. It really gives them a time to shine and makes you connect to them or makes you feel empathized for them in a way that the, the main series kind of weren't about or weren't interested in doing the, all that much. Or, well, at times they do for certain characters. Baya was one that never really got her due, so it was great. Yeah. Great to see it. Yeah. We didn't even get to learn her name until this episode. <laughs> right. like, oh, yeah. Her name is Koiki, which is a very cute name. Very nice. Yeah. (laughs) And I know I'm kind of like kind of jumping from episode to episode, but you are free to like mention things anytime. Yeah. What else can you do when you talk about this? You know, it's character episodes. Some of them are going to hit. I think the next episode, episode seven, does not hit. I believe (laughs) this is the Taiyaki episode, right? Yes, that is Taiyaki. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's fun. It was educational. I learned all about taiyaki making, but it's kind of the story between the one minor character and his father. And uh, I don't know. It it struck me as a little, uh, not a miss, but uh, just I'm not invested in that character in the way that I would probably need to be to make that drama hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure he did appear in the series, but like, I don't remember. And I was like, yep, I mean, yep sure i like taiyaki so it was fun to watch and you know it's cute but um yeah just like oh okay sure yeah 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 there was nothing like particularly new about it the only reason that the girls were involved or like needed to help at all was just you know because they needed a place to try to sell a different kind of taiyaki and they used their magic to make the tiniest cutest little molds and that was fun but like yeah (laughs) yeah Nothing exciting, to say the least. But I know we wanted to talk about the next episode, episode eight, which is another Onpu episode and a very interesting one. Yeah, uh, this one, I've, this is one of the ones that I really enjoyed because it shows how Onpu's decision making in such a cool way that she's accused of breaking the recorder and uh, how she she knows the true culprit, but she doesn't rat him out. Mm-hmm. And the way Ompu handles the pressures to the vice principal and the teacher interrogating her about who, who did break the recorder, the way she puts it behind her and moves on. It's one of those moments where you think, wow, I, I really do love Ompu as a character and, and what she values and how she acts. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, it also is this really cool class base there the larger cast is involved with the social pressures and them figuring out who did break the recorder and what that means and you know all, all this stuff back and forth and the guilt and then it has the very funny scene of um 
Dore me doing the uh the what is that reference? I'm sure you would know better than I would with the gold, the silver recorder, and the normal oh, recorder. That the axe story, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh it's very funny as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a fantastic episode all around and a great moment for Ompu. Yeah, yeah. It is like interesting because yeah, I mean kind of forcing someone else to say the truth would be the easy way out, but Ompu is just like you know, she explains later that like, well, you know, Masaharu, our kind of main culprit, if you will, he he had helped me out earlier. So I kind of wanted to like help him out as well with this situation. So I don't mind taking the blame and, uh, you know, paying for this recorder. Yeah. And you, you also get the feeling that if any of the other girls had been in that situation, all of them would have reacted differently. Mm-hmm. So seeing Ompu's solution to the problem was super cool and super interesting how adult and and mature she is in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. It is really interesting and like kind of shows, yeah, how she stands out compared to the other girls. And then also like, yeah, just like the way she's like, well, you know, if he tells the truth, it's fine. But like, I don't care. It's like, yeah, she really feels like she's done with the situation despite everyone else around her being like, but this is a problem, isn't it? And yeah, she's like, yeah, she puts it yeah. behind her. It's like not even a problem to her. That's so cool. That's so yeah. neat. Yeah, it is. It is very funny because you know their solution is like, well, we have to make sure that he sees how much you know she is. Uh, she's doing. <laughs> yeah. So they like basically give Masaharu a fever dream where they turn into crabs, and it's like yeah, the crabs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very funny. Oh man, it's interesting, and then it's also like. This idea of, you know, the boy's solution to the problem is, like, really bad compared to, like, what Masaharu eventually yeah. decides to do on his own once he's actually, you know, talking to others and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever, I don't know, I'm I'm going way far off base on the magical girl thing, but have you ever watched Flowers of Evil? No, I have read it? never heard okay. of that. <laughs> okay. It's got a similar circumstance. It's very much not up the same alley but it reminds me of a circumstance in that show that does go off the rails hmm, interesting i see <laughs> but yeah so i guess moving right along let's talk about episode nine which is another momoko episode and it's all about baseball <laughs> Yeah, so in watching Doremi, Momoko is by far my favorite character, and I just love everything about how she's portrayed over the, you know the seasons that she's in, and uh, everything that she adds to the cast and all her eccentricities and everything. And I think that when they're giving Momoko this kind of standalone episode, and she kind of has this introspective one, her story in episode two of Doremi Naisho about how she met Majo Monroe and her friend in new york city and all this and then this episode is just the wild side of of momoko Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's so much fun to watch particularly because the art direction in this episode is bonkers it's got it's you'll you'll have to watch it or just look at you know if you if you haven't seen it look and take a look at some screenshots of episode Mm -hmm. nine of dormi naisho it's uh, so creative and and fun and energetic and fluid how she's, you know, spinning around in the background again and again while everything else is, on, is stationary on screen and how invested she is in this baseball game that they're doing. Mm-hmm. She's just so much fun to watch and the passion really comes through. The art style and the, and the directing is creative in ways that 
make it just a genuinely fun episode to watch. Yeah, it's definitely very goofy. It's very ridiculous in every way imaginable. But yeah, this is very fun to watch. Like, yeah, Momoko wants to help out the baseball club, which currently only has two members. And it's just like, yeah, you know, before the baseball club president actually leaves and, you know, graduates, we want to just play one baseball game. That's it. And then, like, they end up offending... (laughs) They end up (laughs) offending Della and, like... Della just gets so ridiculous. Like, she's honestly the most childish. Uh, (laughs) It's so funny. It's so funny. She's like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to play baseball. And then, like, she invents this elementary school called Witch Elementary. (laughs) Yeah. Weechy Elementary. It's so good. What is it about baseball episodes? I don't know. This is a theme I see in larger (laughs) contexts. Stuff like um, Haruhi Suzumiya or or Brand New Animal had a great baseball episode or Angel Beats. All these baseball episodes become the funnest and most interesting episodes in their series. I mean, baseball is just wonderful in general, maybe. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I don't know that I'm behind that. I I like baseball. Okay. 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 It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I find baseball to be fun. Even if you're not good at baseball, it can be fun to play. So at least that's my my experience of it. Fun to cheat at too. (laughs) Apparently for Della, yes. (laughs) It's it's Um, very absurd. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a classic story of like, well, we lost the game, but we had a good time. So it's fine. Right. Um, there's also just this extra thing of like so much capitalism (laughs) I mean that's a very like (laughs) that's one thing that we see all the time with the witches is just like there's a lot of stuff about like money stuff all the time it's very interesting yep they're very mercantile yes and that's a huge (laughs) thing about whenever we see the witch world it's it's totally like that Mm -hmm. I think that I would love to hear some sort of reading or analysis of the uh, witch world economy and magical doremi and how it makes a commentary on modern capitalist uh, ideas that Mm. would be very fun yeah yeah I know we're not going to really talk about it as much, but I know because like episode 11 is another big one for that where it's because that's the Valentine's Day episode. So it's like a, a big day for sales. Very important. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That episode two is just mostly about the Hazuki romance, right? And all the, the backstory with the young boy that plays the trumpet. I don't remember his name. Yeah. Um, Masaru. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> it's It's good, but. It's a very cute romance that we see, you know, we see it, of course, throughout the the series uh, and all the other seasons. We do get like time with him because we are kind of like continuing to confirm that that kind of interesting thing where it's like they are childhood friends. But there's clearly something else there that's like a very, you know, it's it's just a kind of always hanging in the background. This episode kind of explains like why things haven't gone further than they could have. And it's kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. Gives you again more backstory, more more fleshing out of the characters' relationships that we didn't get to see in the in the main series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we also have again not really super worth talking about, but episode ten is likewise like you know a backstory thing, but for Aiko and has this really <laughs> weird whole plot with this boy from Osaka who goes I don't know how he affords it but he gets all the way over to uh, Misora to 
be Aiko's fiance. And she yeah. first she doesn't even remember this situation and then like realizes that it's because he had challenged her to a swimming competition when they were in the first grade. And she just was uh, like, well, I don't want to be caught being bad at swimming, so I'll just accept this weird marriage proposal. Um, <laughs> the episode two does get to a yeah. place where it explores the divorce angle uh, and, and talks mm-hmm. about that. And that's something that Aiko has been struggling with over the entire course of the show. So I, yeah, it's understandable that it's looked at in a new angle. But mostly I just like that episode for that one scene where Momoko dresses up as the samurai and, and pretends <laughs> to be Aiko's boyfriend so, to scare him off and hits him with the wooden sword. Yeah, that was such an interesting scene because it's so ridiculous. It's also like she's only speaking English for some reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Aiko's like translating. Momoko's English. Oh, oh it's so good. I love yes. Momoko's English. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we get to the last two episodes, which I think probably could talk about forever, but. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, just just uh, to reiterate that even in the episodes that don't shine to me or don't stand out as much as these last two do, I think that the quality is just super good all around and they're enjoyable all the way through. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciated where they went with Doremi Naisho as a whole. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They're they're so goofy, they're so fun. Um and I really think that so there's nothing that you need to skip basically, which is important. Sure. Yep. But yeah, the the last two episodes are very very big ones. So I mean, I kind of already had known about the character in episode 12. Oh, did you? I like okay. vaguely. Un- I vaguely was aware, but I hadn't actually, you know, gotten to see her. Okay. Yeah, you'd you'd heard rumors of the uh, of this episode. Yeah, basically, like I've heard people kind of talk about it or mention it, or at least mention the character of Nozomi, because this episode it's titled "The Seventh Witch Apprentice," and this character Nonchan we've never seen before. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's such a fascinating episode, you know. So. We meet this girl, Nozomi. She's in the hospital. We don't know why. You know, Doremi first becomes friends with her because she had accidentally misgendered her when they first met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she came back and was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were a boy because, like, you didn't have any hair. Like, she doesn't really quite understand what's going on. But it's like, right. yeah, this girl who's just in the hospital, but she's going to get out at some point. It's fine. And she ends up, like, just becoming friends with her because of, you know, Nozomi having this interest in witches and so on and seeming to have at least an innate ability to do some sort of magic yeah it's just this really sweet episode where like seems like just about every day she comes just to play cards like just like (laughs) to play a matching game every every day and yeah they just keep bonding yeah we see different like kind of uh, levels to nozomi's illness but like we see that you know she has her own ideas of like how she wants to look as a witch she has designed her own outfit yeah. which just yeah. so happens to fall in line with <laughs> how the witch witchlings all uh look so that's really nice yeah yeah and then we see that like Doremi like pretty much right away is like hey why don't we ask the witch queen if it's okay to make Nozomi right. uh right. witch apprentice when she gets out of the hospital so like that's like a whole kind of writing thing yep. where by the end they're like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let her 
gonna let her become a witch apprentice so everyone's so excited like yeah. we're gonna have a seventh witch yeah, you know it's like this big through line of hope and and it's very yeah. clear from the rest of the episode that that it's just not going to happen and there you know mm-hmm. it's, there's one episode left in the entire franchise and it's uh not looking good for nozomi and the rest of the episode is is pretty much just a straight tragedy uh and very mm-hmm. heartbreaking the way it happens yeah yeah what i love that like you know as uh Dorini sees that nozomi is losing hope and you know this is where i have to point out that her name means hope like that's a whole big thing but right. she kind of convinces everyone to come together to give them like this kind of really awesome again like a kind of almost fever dream yeah. sort of night where yeah. they get to like just kind of turn her into a little temporary witch it's very cute yep Yep. And she's, you know, it's like having this adventure with all the other patients in her room. And it's just so, it's so precious. Like, it's just yeah. really cute and very uh, humanizing, I want to say, of like cancer patients yep. who happen to be children. Yep. Because, I mean, you know, they just want to be kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the stark reality of this episode um, or how, how tangible and realistic it is 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 kind of the thing that hits home about it i even pulled a quote out here from sato was doing an interview for the film and the interviewer Mm -hmm. asked you know there's a lot of suffering throughout doremi not just in this episode but there's other like tough problems the kids have to deal with and he asked did you intend Mm -hmm. to make a statement or you know kind of break away from the norm of these happy-go-lucky magical girl shows and Sato responded that no, they didn't try to make it dark or anything like that. They simply tried to not shy away from the tough parts of life. And they just mm-hmm. collected struggles and, and searched out problems that children actually do have to deal with in the real world. And I think that attitude is kind of why this episode of Doremi feels so authentic and feels so 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 much like something that a child could understand and how they would deal with that situation that Doremi was in. I, I really respect this episode for that because, mm-hmm. yeah, it is something that you don't... Oh, I don't know. In some ways, I think magical girls have always been suffering. They've never been shy about telling you or expressing how tough life can be. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, this is just the single most focused thing to get us to care about this character in this course of one episode and to see Doremi and the rest just like so enamored with giving Nozomi her last wish and and man mm-hmm. it's concentrated it's refined and distilled down to just the most tragic and impactful uh, story you could possibly tell in 25 minutes or whatever it is yeah, yeah, they did a really great job considering the time they had to make this story. Like, it's really, really good. And yeah, very heartbreaking, but it feels like we kind of see that, like, you know, Nozomi was able to pass on happily, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You are left feeling refreshed, especially with the snowball fight at the end um, with the mom, mm-hmm. that you're left feeling not, you know, devastated well in some ways devastated but but also kind of <laughs> yeah with hope with inspired by nozomi mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah just in general it's just a very standout 
standalone thing. Yeah, this actually, like, yeah. I was making a list of my top favorite episodes in all of anime, you know, just uh, across the entire mm -hmm. uh, medium. And I think this is one of the best episodes I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is definitely very special. And so I can understand why people can't help but talk about <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and talk about Nozomi, this this poor girl who wanted to be a witch so bad, but like just wasn't able to. Because you know, it's unfortunately life is sometimes unfair that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess with that, we should move on to the, the final episode. Again, you know, with a series like this, you wonder how are they going to like finish off in a series that doesn't right. really have an ending, right? And they really. Uh, they really did a great job. It's kind of like perfect, not just for this season, but considering like the franchise and so on. Yep. I would 100% agree with yeah. that statement that, yeah, there, there's something mm -hmm. about, you know, the final episode of Dormi Dokkan is, is, is the the whole thing. And I don't want to spoil it. I guess it's okay to spoil it, but mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I was satisfied by the episode, um, how the series ends in general, but then Naisho mm -hmm. coming in and giving the episode with Famichan as the ending, man, it's like an alternative send off to the entire franchise too. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's very interesting. Also, this is again, like not a character I knew about, but like when you are looking for, for example, like if you want to use a GIF on the internet for Doremi, this character shows up a lot. <laughs> and I was like, who the heck is this girl? Right. I've never seen her before. Right. And and here she is. So we see this mysterious uh, girl with long, very light pink hair who seems to know the Harukaze family and knows Doremi and is like kind of stalking her. Don't really understand what's going on. But eventually she does end up interacting with Dodemi and they kind of bond because they like the same things yep, and yep. They, they talk about magic. And this is also set during Hiramatsuri, the holiday in March. That's a very, very important holiday for young girls. It's a very interesting kind of little story because we get, you know, this mysterious girl that we, we don't know, like, you know, where she came from or anything. And, you know, again, her name is Fami, which is very irregular, not a name that's uh, natural in Japanese. Right. But she just looks so familiar. She feels so familiar. And, uh, you know, she's been talking about wanting to speak to her grandmother. She's here to visit her grandmother. Um, and, yeah, we learned that, like, she's actually Dormi's granddaughter from the future. Yeah. This is something that... It kind of is bothering me that I was like reading all these different articles, both in English and Japanese, and I could not find anywhere in English that mentioned this. But I do need to mention the title of this episode is a reference to the girl who leapt through time. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my. Yes. It's the Hina doll who leapt through time. Like, oh, you know, this okay. is obviously the movie the girl left to time did come out like a few years after this but oh. like the the original comic is much older than that and so this is actually okay. a reference to that story well, now you know there's <laughs> also a connection there mamoru hosoda yeah. did the uh the girl who left through time right mm -hmm. and mamoru hosoda also does two episodes of magical Doremi. yeah in particular if you remember from dokan the glass blowing witch 
which would also be on my top, I don't know, 30 episodes in all of anime. I think that episode is fantastic. It's a very good one, yeah. So maybe maybe that is kind of an unintentional reference or in some way became an <laughs> intentional reference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, at least the title is the same as the original uh, comic series and novels. So cool. I don't know where Hosoda was in his plans to uh, adapt yeah, that yeah, story. Yeah, sure, sure. So... Yeah. Probably working uh, on yeah, Digimon or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. But it was something that like stood out to me when I saw the title. And then I was like, wait, why isn't anyone catching that this is a reference? Like, You have to go edit the Wikipedia, yeah. or the Wikipedia entry for that or the Majo the, Wiki Majo or whatever Pedia, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Majo Pedia, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The one thing that's, it's very small, but it is interesting about this season is for whatever reason, at the end of every like preview for the next episode, Momoko gives the English title for the episode. So there is technically an official English title for each each episode of this oh, season. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. But yeah, like absolutely nothing references that. And it's like, guys, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even just to get back onto the episode itself, like the conceit mm-hmm. of the time travel and bringing in this mm-hmm. uh, uh, basically original character for just this episode to yeah. uh, give the reflective look back on who Doremi was, you know, and the whole mm-hmm. family was. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's brilliant and it it's lovely. And I, I think yeah. it just works so well in recapping everything that we came to know and love about the character of Doremi. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. And there's also kind of this vibe too, and I've, I've talked about this a bit before, um, in some of my videos and, and some of my ramblings about the genre on down the line is that you have this idea of um, the second generation magical or third or, you know, mm-hmm. the next generation of magical girl that's going to come after you. Mm. And in some way, you won't need to transform once you are an adult or or that journey that you went on as a as a child will make you who you are mm-hmm. as a grown up and a woman and, and that somebody else will have to take up the mantle and have their own you know trials and tribulations and i think you can see that in tons of tons of media i'm thinking all the way back to like cure flower or or chibiusa from sailor moon Mm -hmm. uh, you know or examples of similar stuff Mm -hmm. it's a trope that i love and i fall for every time and uh fami's introduction when you kind of realize it when they're both like have their noses pressed up against the glass looking at the steak and you're like oh wait i think yeah okay (laughs) it's just so cool yeah, so cool mm-hmm. when they do it. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. And it's also something that like makes sense in the grand scheme of things because there are several times and in, including in this season where the girls will go back in time or like they will do yeah. a full time travel right. or look look back at the past in order to learn about like, you know, current events. So it makes sense that like that might happen down the line to visit one of them. So, you know, we see that like Fami is now a witch apprentice and it does open up a lot of things. Like, for example, they talk about how, you know, Dormi wants to confess her feelings to someone. We have no idea who that is because like yeah. Dormi falls in love with every boy she meets, but yeah, yeah. we know that there is a boy that she likes. We don't know who that is. We don't know if Fami knows right. that she already knows 
her future husband or whatever like yeah, her grandfather you know. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, yeah but it, it is very cute it is very cute there's even a scene where you know it's kind of her talking with her grandmother in the future you know and that and mm-hmm. you get to see just the hint just the hint but yeah no it's just more confirmation it's kind of like a like a last episode of hugto precure you know kind of this confirmation mm-hmm. that you will grow up and you will have you know some life past the adventures you had as a witch apprentice right right that's kind of hopeful and inspiring yeah it's like showing the the kind of future for the franchise as well like we could continue yeah. on yeah it also and you know you already mentioned cure flower but it, it is very interesting that like this is the ending of the Doremi as it stands here is a story about the main character meeting her granddaughter whether she realizes it or not and then we end up moving on from Doremi to uh, hard catch precure being a story about uh, you know, a girl whose grandmother is also a magical girl. So I think right. that's really interesting. Yeah. Shout out to the Umakoshi character <laughs> designs. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, that also is something that we should bring up here too, is that this is like the last content in Magical Doremi for, you know, 15 years or something until those, mm-hmm. you know, the new movie and those episodes you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... I think Magical Doremi as as a franchise is is very much positioned to recapture a lot of what happened with Toei in the success of Sailor Moon, mm-hmm. and um, then figuring out what that would be like, right? It, and you could talk about time slots, you can talk about you know people that worked on it and the history there, and then it did very much lead to pretty cure in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and how that would come to be its own massive juggernaut mm. and i think it really in in some ways is a missing link in the history that you really have to understand if you if you want to understand magical girls yeah definitely <laughs> it's really fascinating i mean like the light novels are not translated officially as of right now but if you wanted to theoretically read more about what the girls are doing in the future you can read the light novels i mean there are 10 stories i don't know if they're gonna continue on because the last one's from 2019 but you know i think it is interesting that the animated stuff at least is still within the past except for of course looking for magical doremi but that's not really about the doremi girls it's about other yeah i was about to say i don't want to spoil anything for you i didn't know how much you knew but yeah no it's (laughs) it's something related but different yes yes it is very fascinating, like how everything is kind of like, you know, if you want to know more about what the girls are up to, you can read on. But um, it's really cool. I think that's really interesting that this series has been able to live on in this really unique way compared to other uh, franchises. Yeah. Yeah. It, do, it does feel like this is a series that has a lot of sticking power. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a lot of the plot of uh, of looking for magical Doremi is just talking about that exact thing about how this series can still mean something to you as an adult or or some twenty years after it first aired. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. It really is. It is really fascinating. I think, I mean, in general, Doremi is a must watch, but like this particular season really shows like the reason why if that makes sense it's like yeah yeah yeah, I, and, and, <laughs> yeah no I, and in, when we graded uh, every magical girl season ever you know and dora me is certainly in the must watch tier yeah 
I think going back to what we were saying is it's a, not a must watch because of anything regarding, you know, the plot or, you know, the transformations or anything like that. But I think it's a mm-hmm. must watch because the characters are so real, mm. so relatable, and they're uh, so earnest and depicted uh, with such, uh, such passion and love behind them. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard to ignore. Yeah. Yeah. It is really great. You know, if you love the Dormy series, then it's like, if I had to guess, I think this is a lot of people's favorite season. <laughs> yeah. Certainly mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, is there anything else you wanted to mention about the series? No, I, I'm just happy to have watched it and you know i'm happy that it exists honestly like i think i think the landscape of magical girls would be so so different without magical yeah, Doremi. definitely <laughs> i guess before we finish up there are some small things i wanted to bring up that are not great about the season so like largely the season is pretty great Doremi is pretty great but it's not without its problems so you know jumping back to episode 10 again being an Ico episode, the topic of divorce is pretty vital. In particular, you know, this boy thinks that his parents are going to get a divorce because they were like fighting, like in his imagining of the situation, it seems very serious. And he's like talking about like, you know, he basically ran away. Again, like they're all like in fifth grade. So they're like 11 years old. He ran away. He ran all the way to Misora to be with Aiko and her father. And we also see that like her bullying that she experienced that he like defended her from when they were kids was also because her parents had just divorced. Like it's very interesting to see like that depiction because like we know from the main story that like that is something she is very focused on is trying to get her parents back together whether or not that's actually a good lesson for kids is debatable, but you know, that is how she feels. She's a kid that makes sense. So she really is frustrated with this boy because he has basically given up on his parents and she wants him to fight for them to stay together. And, you know, by the end of the episode, they show up and they're like, Oh my God, we've missed you. And he's like, why are you both here together? And they're like, we're not getting divorced. We just had a fight and we like joke about stuff, you know? You're not serious. And it like he's very offended by that, obviously, because like that's not something that you just like say casually that you're gonna do and not, you know, actually mean it. But it's it's a very kind of uncomfortable thing. And like I don't know if it was really handled appropriately. So, you know, I think that is something to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand. Yeah. 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 The other thing I wanted to bring up was in episode eleven again. So the, the baseball episode with Momoko. So they are playing against a team of actually professional baseball players who just happen to never graduate elementary school. And, yeah, yeah. you know, like you mentioned, the animation for this episode in particular is really over the top. And we don't see the whole team, like the whole time that they're playing. But when they first introduce the team, there are two characters that are really weirdly drawn in like very unfortunately like racist caricatures of black people so like i think they're meant to be black baseball players but like they just look so goofy and i did this like really like it's very out there and like it kind of caught me off guard when they first happened because i was like wait are we still doing this right now (laughs) so that that part is very unfortunate but it is there it's very very brief but it is there so just for anyone yeah yeah you know going yeah. to the episode they definitely need to be aware of it at least yeah 
But yeah, I think that's everything we have to talk about with Naisho again. Generally, despite those problems, a pretty solid season of uh, of anything, really. And we are down to our last question. So, Kai, what do you hope to see in the future of this magical girl genre? Now, I you sent you sent this to me, and I I kind of like stared at it for quite a <laughs> while because I hadn't like I had to do some soul searching to even come up with an answer for this one. <laughs> because on one hand, like I have this element of me that can watch any type of show that has these general aesthetic qualities and these general themes of um, compassion and understanding and love and justice triumphing and anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I will digest that and not even, not even blink and I'll love it. Sure. On the other hand too, I kind of feel like the magical girl genre is bold claim, but I think it ended in a way at the end of Madoka Magica episode 12 and everything past that has kind of just been, either telling the same story, the same standard story or floundering, kind of figuring out where the genre needs to go after that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a broader claim that needs a lot more support to it to stand. But for me, what I'm looking for this year, uh, we do have the Madoka magic of fourth film coming out and, and what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So maybe that'll come up with something creative or interesting. Lord knows Magia record didn't. So hmm. Who knows? The other thing that I need in Magical Girl Space is some type of continuation, whether it be a second season or a film for Wonder Egg Priority. Like I said, that show kind of took over my mind in a way that nothing really had since 2011 in Madoka Magica. Hmm. So uh, I need more because it does not conclusively end. Hmm. Yeah. I'm curious because Madoka was over a decade ago now. So like, I guess... With what has come out in the past decade, what do you think is missing from those series? Well, that's a good question, first of Mm -hmm. all. And I I don't know how much time we have. I could go for another hour (laughs) just talking all about this. But I did a presentation once on um, dark, you know, scare quotes, dark magical girl shows since post-Madoka. And how everybody always takes the wrong ideas away from a show successful like that. And we have all these shows that are just the daybreak illusions of the world, the uh, kind of the um, Hmm. magical girl sight, things like that, that are just so clearly trauma or, you know, about the content and not not so much about the... uh, the resolution. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the success of Madoka Magica was exploring the different things that we take for granted in a magical girl show. You know, why why do we trust Luna in the first episode of Sailor Moon? You know, mm-hmm. that type of stuff and questioning that and inverting enough of the tropes that you get at something unique and interesting that tears down certain angles of the genre, but then ends up reaffirming it because there are things that are eminent and come through no matter how much they will be suppressed you know Mm. so i think that nothing has kind of made a statement or or substantially changed the genre enough Uh, not that there haven't been magical girl shows that i've liked since 2011 there certainly have been it's just i'm waiting for some type of genre shift and i don't know that we'll ever get anything like that Hmm. again interesting okay that's i do think there have been some changes in the past decade but i could understand 
Well, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear your counter arguments. Come <laughs> on. Um, I mean, obviously, like, we still have the powerhouse that is Precure. And Precure is, you know, doing some things. And there's, yeah. there's only so much Precure can do because of the target audience and, and so on. But Right, right. And, and it being, you know, primarily for, for toy sales, uh, which is still, you know, doing very well. So we're, we're going to be okay there. But... <laughs> Like, for example, when it comes to that, the, the quote unquote dark magical girls, we've kind of had a stop to them. Like in terms of uh, in print, they're not as frequent. Like there is one going yeah. on right now. There's um, Carenza that's still in print. That's like very gory, very extreme, but I don't hear anyone ever talk about it. Sure. They fell out of faith. Yeah. yeah. And then like, you know, in the past year alone, we've gotten the start of so many new series that are about like adult magical girls or like a lot more parodies and things like that there's mm-hmm. you know the demon girl next door is currently going on and sure you know that is definitely looking at it from a different angle similarly there's also acro trip which is currently in ribbon magazine and that's also about a girl who is kind of forced to be a villain for a magical girl but she actually like is a big fan of the magical girl and that's also like Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's it's very similar to the the demon girl next door. Just like in general, I do feel like there is kind of a shift in like the focus of like the kind of main focus has been pretty steady, especially because Precure is this, you know, big dominating force and everything is kind of in right. reaction to Precure. Like Girls Heroine has been doing pretty well, but their newest show is kind of straying away from the fighting type magical girl. We kind of don't know where that series is going or that franchise is going, but then we have, you know, like Mugal Dreamy did okay, but it only lasted two seasons. And then now yeah. we have like Watch It Pre Magic going on. So like there's a lot of like kind of small changes around Precure for kids stuff. And then I feel yeah. like when looking at the genre as a whole, what is going on in terms of the parodies and just other things in print are really important to keep your eye on because those things tend to take longer to get adapted if they are. And then we also have this interesting recycling of a whole bunch of stuff from the 2000s. Obviously, Doremi is included there, but also like, you know, we're getting Tokyo Mew Mew new this year. And yeah, there's yeah. a new Mermaid Melanie comic and yeah, Sakura continues to keep going. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then we have Sailor yeah. Moon. So it's very interesting to see like this kind of, there's like for me like there's kind of three different areas that you have to look at when looking at the genre and um there are like currently four or five different comics that are about men who become magical girls i was going to say after thinking a bit about it i was going to say the gender aspect or the gendered aspect of magical girls and what that means hasn't been adequately explored and i'm talking Mm -hmm. not just in the parody things you know i know i know there's been parodies that do the Mm -hmm. magical boys I'm talking about like thematically, you know, why is Gurren Lagann a manly show and and then Precure a feminine show? And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd love to see something like that. Also, you seem to you have your ear to the ground on the uh, comic space in a way that I certainly don't. (laughs) So you probably know what's coming ahead of me. Uh, I'm at least aware of the comics. I don't really have the time to read a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. But the other direction I, that you brought up a little bit that I think is kind of the or was the popular answer for a while is, you know, what does an adult magical girl look like and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And for me, 
that is the single thing that is answered in looking for magical Doremi in mm. this wild roundabout way. So I would have said that had I not watched the follow-up film to, you know, mm-hmm. or to this franchise, because I think it, it answers that question with the definitive period at the end of it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I am definitely looking forward to um, watching that movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I just think in general, there's like a lot of stuff that feels very promising. So I'm very, I'm kind of excited to see. And it's not related to anything, but if you're not reading any comics, I do recommend you check out Magilumiere because that is, it's very interesting because it is a Jump Plus comic that's being translated for free, very easily accessible. And it's like going really quickly. You know, it's a, a corporate magical girl series. It's this world where, like, you know, magical girls are all run by different companies. They're all fighting for different companies against an evil. And so it's about, they're all adults, which is great. And it's about a girl who, she's, like, just, like, an 18-year-old trying to find a job somewhere, anywhere. And uh, she ends up just kind of falling into this job at a magical girl company, like a little startup. And uh, it's very, very cute. It's very interesting. Okay, that's an interesting of... premise. I've just does it have something like I I need some meat behind that. I need it to say something about how magical girls are consumed or or treated or you know have something yeah. to say about the genre. From what I've seen, I haven't read, and I've only read like the the first volume when it came out. I bought the second volume; it just came out. It's published digitally first, so the there's like twenty chapters or something out right now, but. It is definitely looking at uh, both like capitalism again, a really weird recurring thing in Magical Girls. Right, yeah. And then also it is definitely looking at Magical Girl fandom as a whole because like the the company president at Magilumiere is this, um, he's a man who like wakes up every morning and he just like loves Magical Girls. He loves to, um, he wears dresses. It's not presented like as any sort of like like a trans narrative at all yeah, it's like perversion or anything. there, there are, are men like that who are like you know they they love cute things and so they're oh, gonna totally. wear those yeah. things and but they still identify as men and and so on yeah but yeah like each person in the company is like a super huge magical girl fan basically uh, yeah see i that that's another aspect the the kind of the social aspect of the magical girl as superhero i think the kind of um batman's relationship to gotham city that i and I can't think of a good example of when that was kind of handled well. Maybe that there's like one episode of Sailor Moon where she's in the the news reporter is, you know, scoping him out and the news reporter turns out to be a bad guy. But I like that angle of like, oh, yeah, the general population of this area would know about these superheroes. Yeah. And how would that interact? And I mean, another thing, another thing with like Magical Girls as a genre is like, we're talking pretty much about we're just like talking about Japanese media here for the most part. Right. But like, oh, yeah. I do think that it is important to see how the global phenomenon of magical girls has really come back to affect things. Like, I mean, there's magical beast Sherbert, that project that's going on right now. That's like some I think it's originally an American who had just kind of created this persona that became a magical mascot. And now they're like crowdfunding this whole magical girl franchise that is being animated in japan by a japanese company there's also you know like the fact that like ruby a series created by a japanese american is now becoming a a whole new production in japan 
that we could talk about that for some hours too <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no you're right about yeah. the globalization of you know the you know, so you had an episode on shira i saw you you know we mm-hmm. there's stuff about ladybug and all that stuff over the last decade that would probably be a more interesting narrative than mm-hmm. just limiting ourselves to to strictly japanese produced magical girl shows mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure i think that there's a lot to look at in terms of what you know people in a global audience get out of this genre and then like you know when i talk to especially creators of their own web comics and so on like seeing the way these play out in original stories and stuff like i think it's really really yep. one of my favorite things about magical girls is seeing yep Yep. What do you yeah. take away? What was meaningful to you? What do you, what did you find in these stories that you wanted to replicate? Yep. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think that's everything we have to talk about today. So Kai, thank you for coming on the podcast again. Um... Oh, anytime. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And it's so great to even just for my own mental health to get to talk to people about these types of things. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, where can people find you and follow you online to talk about Dora Me and other magical girls? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, the number one place with all my magical girl content is on YouTube. If you just type in clear and sweet, you'll find me on there i'm also at clear and sweet on twitter and i'm rolling around on different discords including your very own so (laughs) if you ever find me track me down ping me leave a comment on the videos hey and then uh, i'll be sure to see it and respond and if you ever want to talk if anybody wants to talk about the themes or the genre as a whole uh hit me up great great thank you again and i hope you have a good rest of your day thank you you as well Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag Sparkle Side Chats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Magical Girl Ayu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you uncovered or a fan or creator you want to hear from by filling out the form in the show notes. You can also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7 often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at co-fi.com slash ayushinos or become a member to receive two bonus episodes a month for just $5 and access behind-the-scenes info. At higher levels, you can get additional perks. You can also buy a commission or print on my imprint page. Another way to support the podcast one time is by buying something off the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the use section as we are not picky here. 
Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at A Few Bruises. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical. <laughs> <laughs>